Uh, hello. Hi. Hi. How's it going? Good. Pretty good. Good. Um, hello, all listeners now. I was saying hello previously to the other people on the podcast, but now this hello is specifically directed at the listeners. Hello, listener. I hope that you are well and that you're having a good day. Hopefully we can make it a little better. Um, my name is Andrew Westensko, and I am the host of this here podcast, the podcast which is called We Watch Movies and Then Talk About Them. Uh, basically what we do is we watch a movie, then we talk about it. If you couldn't figure that out from the name... My mom couldn't figure that out. Oh, really? Yeah, a few weeks ago, I said something about how... Yeah, I was staying down at their house, and she really didn't want me to go back up here to watch it. I was like, well, we're going to watch the movie. She's like, oh, you watch it, and then you talk about it? (laughs) It's like, (laughs) it's called We Watch Movies and Then Talk About It. She's like, oh, I just didn't know you, like, watched them together. (laughs) So that shows that she's not really listening, so I can swear all I want. Ooh. (laughs) I'm going to DM your mom this episode specifically. (laughs) Just listen to the first two minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm joined at my right hand by Becca. Hello. And at my left hand, and Becca's right hand Mm -hmm. by Sid. Hi. It's a circular table. It's a circle table. Uh, Welcome. This is episode number 15 of We Watch Movies and Then Talk About Them, which is an exciting milestone because it is the first prime numbered episode that we're doing. That's completely false. That's so exciting. (laughs) I don't know what a prime number is anymore. It's like a, it's like a five, ten, thirteen. 15. No, prime numbers are, let's see, what one, three, seven, thirteen. Yeah, so the first prime numbered episode we've done. <laughs> Can someone please explain to me what a prime number is again? A prime number it's like can't five, be div- 10, no. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Welcome to the first prime numbered episode. Oh my goodness. We watch movies and then talk about them. Um, I haven't taken a math class in six years. Is that something to be bragging about? No, that's just why. I mean, I'm. That's why you don't know what a prime number is. I'm surprised that I remember so well about prime numbers (laughs) despite having not taken a math class for so long. You You want me to do some matrices after the podcast? We can get into that. You can't. Couldn't even do matrices when I had to do them for my test. I just skipped that section. I don't know what that is. Yeah. I, uh, what is that? I got like a 67 in my last math class. And it technically didn't count for my major because it was a general ed requirement. So a D was a pass. Beautiful. <laughs> it was great. Um, welcome, everybody. Today, uh, we're, we're keeping it lighthearted today because uh, the movie that we watched, not so lighthearted. Yes. Not soul-crushingly sad either there's just a lot going on here but simultaneously very difficult movie to talk about yes it is um so today we watched the tree of life uh written and directed by terrence malick a young boy born in illinois moved to oklahoma then to texas i looked up his bio because i was interested all right uh, he has made some incredible films. He kind of, uh, for those of you who don't know the history of Terrence Malick, he kind of dropped a couple bombs in the 70s. He came out with uh, Badlands and Days of Wonder. And then he kind of vanished for like 20 some odd years. 
Jeez. Um, so he came out with those two, and then he's like, yep, I'm, I'm good for a bit. Um, and then all of a sudden he came back 20 years later with The Thin Red Line. Uh, uh, World War II epic uh, that many people kind of, I think a lot of film people kind of consider Saving Private Ryan and The Thin Red Line like the two definitive World War II movies as far as like, I guess, dissecting the psychology that goes into that kind of war and stuff like that. Um, he followed that up with The New World, which is the story of Pocahontas. That was seven years later. This dude sure takes his time. Um, the New World, Story of Pocahontas, a fantastic movie. I'd love to talk about it sometime. Um, I just got the Criterion version of The New World about five minutes ago. It came in the mail. And The Thin Red Line. And The Thin Red Line. Uh, great movies. Um, and then he followed that up in 2011 with... Uh, the Tree of Life. Now, The Tree of Life, for those of you who, I guess, don't uh, read about movies as much as other people do, The Tree of Life, um, he'd been kind of conceptualizing this movie for, like, 30 years. And it was kind of one of those that, like, Terrence Malick aficionados throughout the years, like, always knew that it was cooking on the back burner. But he never, I guess, felt totally comfortable completely going through with making it. But I guess he got the right people, the time was right. I don't really know. I'm not inside the guy's head, but after, I think it was about 30 years that, since he started conceptualizing the film that it finally came out. Um, and so The Tree of Life, it stars Brad Pitt and Jessica Chastain, um, who will probably mostly refer to by their actual names because I don't know their names in this film. I don't, I don't think it's ever said. One. Do they have names? Nope. Just Mr. and Mrs. O'Brien. Seriously? Yep. I didn't even know they yeah, had a last name. Because they just call mom and dad. Yeah. So. yeah. Mr. and Mrs. O'Brien. So we'll just probably call them Brad Pitt and Jessica Chastain. Uh, it semi-features Sean Penn. I mean, he gets top billing, but he's got, what, like five minutes of screen time? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then three wonderful little kids, uh, Hunter McCracken, Laramie Epler, and Ty Sheridan. Who are not in any way related to Brad Pitt. No, they're not. They but look they look like, like they him. should be. He's the kid. Uh, yep. From Ready Player One. Uh-huh. Would yeah. you look at that? All right. Yeah, one of the one of the boys is the kid in Ready Player One. So, career right. quickly went downhill. We could say. <laughs> I mean, maybe not so quickly. It took him seven years, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Tree of Life is the story of a uh, suburban Texas family. Um, <laughs> huh. <laughs> and stuff happens, and that's pretty much it. It's just about them. It's, yeah, <laughs> like it's not. But it's not so much more necessarily about anything happening to them. No, it's just it, about life. It's just yeah. about it's just their life. them as people. It's very. Here's the thing. Uh, from the outset, those of you who haven't ever seen a Terrence Malick movie, um, it's un. I guarantee it's unlike anything that you have ever seen. Um, he has a come on come on you guys are i'm over here trying to bear my soul about terrence malick's directorial style and you guys are laughing over the fact that sid doesn't have a freaking coaster no no she was trying she was pointing trying to reach a coaster and i thought she was like trying to get my attention to look at a spider or something i feel like we've established the protocol for if there's a spider you yell there's a spider (laughs) 
sorry. Anyway, I'm sorry. Back Continue. on track. Sorry. Um, so again, those of you who are just listening to this episode purely out of curiosity, you've never heard of the Tree of Life. You never heard of Terrence Malick. Um, I think that he's one of the more talented directors to ever, I guess, hold that title. Um, he has a very distinct style. Um, all of his films are incredibly visual in that the dialogue usually plays more of a background role. He lets the setting and facial expressions and the editing uh, do the work for him as far as telling the story goes. Um, his movies are pretty famously made in the editing room rather than on set. He just films and films and films and films and films so much and then takes it into the editing room. And that's actually... We'll, we'll talk about this more if we ever do the Thin Red Line, but that... Um, I think it, I think it was uh, Adrian Brody was like supposed to be the star of that movie, um, and everything on set indicated to him that he was the lead because he filmed so much and had so many different scenes and everything like that. And then he gets cut from almost the entire movie. He becomes a background character and has like six lines, and the whole movie focuses on Jim Caviezel. So, like, and Terrence Malick famously does that. Like, he'll get there are people who are just entirely cut from his movies, like famous famous people. But he's such an like an auteur that people just want to work with him. So basically, if somebody like if he calls you up and he's like, "Hey, you want to come film some scenes?" Like, you do it, and you have like a fifty percent chance of actually landing in the movie. Which it sounds like Sean Penn is probably a lot of his scenes. Were yeah, probably so cut. that's my understanding. So we uh, we recently as well bought the Criterion Collection release of The Tree of Life. It it just came out. Um, and it can it has also so we watched the theatrical cut today because Sid had never seen it and jumping into three hours of this movie is very difficult if you've never seen it before um, but apparently the uh, there's about an hour of cut footage and to my understanding it focuses a lot more on Sean Penn, on Sean Penn's character so his billing makes a lot more sense in the extended cut um, which we will have to watch at some point it just takes a lot out of you it's very exhausting it really does. It's here's the thing. This is again those of you who just stumbled in here by accident. And I guess I'll start off. This is my hot take, and then we'll just kind of go around the table with hot takes. Um, it's a very extended hot take. Again, for those of you who just stumbled in here, um, I guess accidentally or out of curiosity, um, I feel like, and this isn't. I'm not gonna go tell people not to watch this movie, but if you really want to enjoy it, I feel like it's a movie that you kind of need to work your way up to as far as like more abstract styles of filmmaking go and i don't i realize even as that comes out of my mouth that i just kind of sound like a pretentious art house prick <laughs> but like the, it really is like in order to understand it like you, you you should have some background in more abstract filmmaking have seen some other films i guess leaning towards this style um slower paced films longer films that kind of thing um or Alternatively, just like really prepare yourself, like understand that the narrative is almost non-existent. There's pretty much no plot. It's just like little vignettes of life um, that are just kind of copied and pasted in here. And I'm going to talk about why I think that is and why I think it is an effective method for communicating what the movie is trying to communicate. But um, it's it really is like I said for those of you who have never seen a Terrence Malick film. You've never seen anything like it because he has such a unique style. Um, and uh, that said, I highly recommend checking out his body of work because I feel like it does open a lot of doors as far as 
appreciating new kinds of cinema go. Uh, this movie specifically for me was a big, big, big uh, eye opener as far as like what film can communicate and what can be done with visuals in place of dialogue and like I said, like kind of a, a loose narrative and specifically, um, I think that he, he has a lot to say with this movie. Um, but I also think that he purposefully leaves a lot up to the viewer. Again, he just kind of shows these vignettes of life and allows you to take away from it what you will. And I think that that's a, a really special thing to do. And, um, I don't know. It takes a very deft hand, um, as a director and editor and uh, specifically the cinematography with Emmanuel Lubezki on this one, just mind blowing. Um, so like I said, that's a very long winded hot take, but I hope that people coming into this one, for those of you who have never seen this movie and have never seen this type of movie, um, I only preface it this way because I think it's a movie that deserves to be appreciated. And if you go in expecting Batman or something, like you're not going to get that. What you what you get is, um, something that requires thought and something you're going to want to think about afterwards and I guess pull meaning from that way. So that's my hot take. I think it's interesting that you say people need to like have already watched a lot of movies or been into film before watching this movie because this is the first movie that Andrew ever made me watch that was like a real film. I feel like I got a little overexcited. <laughs> He's like, hey, I love movies. I love film. Watch The Tree of Life. (laughs) (laughs) But I loved it the first time I watched it. And maybe it's because I am kind of into more like abstract art. Mm -hmm. So I could appreciate it more. Well, specifically, I think that for you, like your background in a lot of contemporary dance and more abstract music and stuff like that may have kind of opened that door to art that requires a little bit more patience yeah that's fair um and i would absolutely i guess before i get into my hot take i would absolutely recommend this movie to everybody um but not like as a movie it's not like oh hey you know what movie you should watch the tree of life like hey it's friday night we got a pizza let's sit down and watch the tree of life (laughs) (laughs) it's like it's like you know what experience will enrich your life and make you feel really good is watching this movie like it's not like a movie that I recommend. It's like an experience that I recommend to everybody. So everybody should prepare themselves in whatever way they need to to be able to watch this movie and appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Um, but my hot take is that I love this movie. I think it's absolutely amazing for so many reasons. But I think the biggest reason is, and I'm sure we'll talk about this a lot, but the cinematography is just beautiful and like the music and like I don't know it's just so such a pleasure to just like sit there and watch these beautiful scenes and listen to this music and it's amazing amen yes <laughs> all right now moving on so I've seen it I've seen this movie probably a half dozen times Becca this is your second time yes and then we have a fresh perspective here Sid, before you get into your hot take I do want to ask you what did you expect coming into this movie had you heard anything about it what like what what um, I think probably my expectations were just not really expect a storyline, really. Um, 
from the trivia that I read and stuff that I've seen on the internet, I just kind of learned that it's just kind of, it's more of an experience than a movie. So I think I was fairly well prepared for it. All so, right. Cool. Yeah. Hot take. Okay. So, yeah. So I'm not incredibly well versed in abstract movies. I'm slowly getting there and slowly more able to appreciate it. Um, but I, I really like this movie. I think kind of in similar fashion to Becca when we watched Birdman, I don't think I loved it as much as I would if I were to watch it again or if I were to watch it after taking a really long nap because I did not get a long nap today. <laughs> and It's slow. It's, it's very slow. It is. And, this, you know, the whole cosmos and all the beautiful, but it's very calming and put you right out i could see how someone would fall asleep to that no absolutely (laughs) yeah but yeah i thought it was great i don't know if i would recommend it to everyone like if your favorite movie is transformers you're probably not gonna like it we crap on transformers way too much on the podcast hate transformers so much (laughs) and just like the first one is good yeah that's true (laughs) not to get too sidetracked but i feel i feel a little bad for transformers the first one's okay it's pretty entertaining but like you know when you like you see a a person and you kind of like imagine what their favorite movie is they're like oh yeah i love movies harry potter is great (laughs) (laughs) like if you meet someone and you're like i could imagine them their favorite movie is transformers Mm -hmm. cut ties yeah. Don't be friends with them. And like, who's your favorite? Oh, you love movies. Who's your favorite director? You're like, uh, Michael well, Bay. Because that's not totally fair. I don't really know directors. That's true. <laughs> All right, sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but if you ask them their favorite actor and they say a Marvel actor, they're all great. But I love Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> She's a fine actress. Don't get me yeah. wrong. She can't walk in heels, but can't she? No. No, no. Just like watch her in movies when she's wearing heels. She can't walk in them. I've never paid attention. Yeah. Me either. Had a reason to. Huh. All right. Keep going. Okay. Anyway. um, Yeah. I thought this movie was great. Yeah. Going into it, I wasn't really expecting too much plot wise. But I think it's. I don't know. I just think it's great. It's just kind of like. It's kind of like an ethereal experience just watching it and just like taking in all these beautiful images. And yeah, the cinematography is so good the music's great even like the acting's really good even though the movie doesn't really ride on the acting the acting is super minimal yeah but they're all great in it so i guess i'll put it this way it's not maybe that's right the acting is not minimal and there's a lot of acting going on mm-hmm. here the acting is very minimalist yeah it's very understated mm-hmm. in a lot of ways yeah because i feel like there were a lot of scenes where there was like potential to like i don't know have a big confrontation or like a big monologue and they kind of just like gloss over it mm-hmm. so i feel like it, yeah a lot of the story is just told by what you're seeing and i think it's great i think it was incredible well cool so i think that as i've kind of thought about how we should structure this discussion so i guess that that whole intro i think is tailored a little bit more towards people who have not seen it um and i think that one of the movie's strongest aspects is one of the aspects that makes it hard to talk about, which is what you guys said, and that's that it's more of an experience. You really need to um, feel the things that are going on on screen because everything is 
I guess the both the cinematography and the editing are extremely active, especially for how slow the movie moves. The movie moves slowly plot-wise because there isn't really a plot, um, but the scenes themselves are not very long for the most part. It's just a lot of little tiny uh, sneak peeks into this family's life. And I think that the best way to structure it, because to me, the one thing that the movie does really well is I guess how it maintains that level of abstractness and what it chooses to be vague about and what it chooses to be specific about, right? So I want to read um, the kind of opening monologue because typical of Terrence Malick films as well, um, this one has it and all of his, I haven't seen every single film of his, but all of his that I have seen share this, that they're driven mostly by like voiceover rather than like diegetic dialogue, right? So I want to read the, I guess, opening monologue that Jessica Chastain gives, uh, because I feel like basically what this movie does is it it gives you this monologue. It it sets out these two opposing forces, which it calls nature and grace, and then just spends two and a half hours exploring them, and um, exploring the effect that each of them has on a person, right? Um, so I'll read it first, and then I'll, I guess I'll get into what I mean by that. So it says here, she says here, The nuns taught us there are two ways through life, the way of nature and the way of grace. You have to choose which one you'll follow. Grace doesn't try to please itself, accepts being slighted, forgotten, disliked, accepts insults and injuries. Nature only wants to please itself, get others to please it too, likes to lord it over them, to have its own way. It finds reasons to be unhappy when all the world is shining around it, when love is smiling through all things. They taught us that no one who loves the way of grace can ever come to a bad end. And I think that, so like I said, the film opens with that. Um, And then it's basically just this meditation on those two opposing forces and how that affects pretty much every aspect of our life from our familial relations to our relations with our friends to uh, faith and religion to career to... um, you know just how you treat strangers to all of it and so it takes those two opposing forces and shows and even the the kid jack uh the main like the oldest brother he even says that at some point he says mother father you'll always wrestle inside of me and really they it's i mean it's not like it's hidden you know jessica, jessica chastain checks on this role of grace where brad pitt is nature and you see them kind of struggling in this in this household and see how the different things that they do um, affect the kids but um, that's kind of my I guess idea of what what the film is trying to do I guess on a very zoomed out scale is to introduce these two opposing forces and then examine how um, kind of that conflict that's really inherent in the universe um, I guess guides our, our lives and, and who we become yeah, I I mean, I think that's exactly right. I think that's what the film is trying to do. And I love that they don't really have names in the film because I feel like that, to me, really comes across like it could be anybody and any family and seems very relatable um, that this, like, these two opposing forces, nature and grace, um, are real, not just for this family, but, like, for anybody. 
So I really appreciate the way that was done as well with no names and very relatable. Yeah. I think Jack is the only one really with a name. Does it even actually say his name? in? The yeah, they say it a few times. Okay. Yeah. And just for anybody who might be confused, um, I guess, I guess spoilers, <laughs> um, because whatever. Um, but so Sean Penn is the oldest brother. It's the middle brother that dies. Which is kind of confusing mm-hmm. until you get to the end. Yeah, like, I, I watched it a couple of times being like, so which? And I, here's the thing. I took different things from it depending on which brother I thought it was that died. But just based on their names, you know, it's, it's, the, mil, it's the middle brother that dies. Yeah. So, and we assume he dies in war. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think probably Vietnam. I don't know. Which, I don't know if this is jumping too far ahead or... I, here's the thing: the movie, the movie literally shows you like the first and last scenes within the first ten minutes. So yeah, <laughs> I don't think true. there's too much jumping ahead that can be done here. Um, but I realized—I don't know if I realized this the first time around, but I realized it by the end of the movie this time. So there's the three brothers, but you don't really see the youngest brother very often. Mm-mm. It's mostly just the older two brothers. Yeah. And the whole movie, I was like so confused. I was like, why? Like, where's this little brother? Like he's not around he's just with his mom all the time but i think that the film is filmed in a way that it's like from jack's memory so it's like it's it shows him in like present time like thinking about his brother and then it shows like their whole life together um and a lot before just them but like Mm -hmm. it shows a lot of scenes of just the two brothers and so to me that was like jack remembering his brother and remembering like the experiences they had together and so that's why it shows just the two brothers and not the youngest as much but it's just a theory yeah i do think a lot of the um i guess a lot of the thoughts and themes do revolve like do kind of evolve from the death of the brother yeah and so i think that um I mean, the first scene, or I guess one of the very first scenes is Jessica Chastain, like, being told that her son is dead, and we see, um, like, them coming back from the funeral and everything like that, and then that's when it cuts to Sean Penn as an adult. So I think that, um, you know, and even, you can even tell he calls his dad at one point in the elevator, and he, he calls his dad to apologize for saying something, we don't know what he says. But he says something along the lines of, like, you know, of course I think about him every day. I'm just sorry for what I said. So, like, you can tell that the the death of this son has had, like, a huge ripple effect in that family. And I think that a lot of the, I guess, the themes and meditations that come out of this do, I guess, come from that. Because I think one of the biggest differences between Brad Pitt and Jessica Chastain is how they deal with death. And like what it means you know what i mean like there's even that scene where um the neighbor is hugging jessica chastain and she's crying and like brad pitt is just watering the lawn being like we're okay we're okay go on home like we're fine you know what i mean mm-hmm. so i don't know i think that that just again continues to reinforce like it, it it's trying to examine those two forces from as many angles as possible yeah and i think even between the two brothers i think Jack oftentimes represents nature or I mean he's trying to like fight within himself but I think the middle brother is like a good example of grace as mm-hmm. well because he's just like the super sweet boy who's like very loving and obedient for the most part and 
So I think that's also maybe why it had such a toll on them is because he was such a good person. Yeah. 100%. Um, let's see. I don't even know really where to to talk about all of this because it, it, it is so dependent on you seeing because you feel... I feel like they choose specifically to show fairly inconsequential moments um, growing up. A lot of it is just them playing or eating dinner or playing music or whatever. But they, and so you you really do feel um, like you know this family and these characters without really any exposition. And the only way that they can pull that off is because you spend so much time with them over the course of the movie, like just in their home and whatever. And it's so normal. Like it's just like little boys being boys and like playing in the yard or, you know, it's just a family. And so like, I felt like watching it, I was like, Oh, like I did that with my siblings or like, I don't know. It's just very normal. Yeah. And that's an interesting thing you said a minute ago that it seemed like the movie was more from Jack's point of view, because as I was watching it this time, um, I, I almost wonder, and it, when I say this, I, I want to differentiate. I almost wonder if nature, is, or like the, I guess the universe is the narrator, because with how everything goes, and e- I guess every sequence in the film, it almost feels like an echo, like, like existence shouted, and we're seeing the echo of it. If you know what I mean, because yeah. it, it it's. It doesn't feel to me like Jack is leading the story. It feels like an outside force is leading the story. So it almost feels to me like the universe is the narrator and for some reason has decided to show us these things. And that's really cheesy sounding, but like... But that's what it feels like when you watch yeah. it, which is why everybody just has to experience it. <laughs> yeah. And the, I, I, I think I wrote this down. I think that that's, it's a similar feel to me to like a ghost story where I feel like the universe narrates this, I feel like time is the narrator in a ghost story. That's, I guess, kind of the closest analog that I would pull between the two. Yeah, that's totally fair. Which, it's pretty unusual to have, like, a concept be your narrator rather than, like, a person or the camera. <laughs> you know? Um, Sid, what are your thoughts? I'm struggling right now. It's tough. It's really hard, especially because this is the first time I've seen it. Um, it's a lot to take in. Yeah. Like, there's there's so much in it, and it's, it's a long movie, too. Yeah. Um, but no, I was getting... Like, there were some points where I was, like, remembering Ghost Story and remembering that scene from a ghost story. Like, um, the one scene kind of more towards the beginning where it just, like, shows Jessica Chastain turning the light jack's light off every night mm-hmm. that reminded me a lot of the the one kind of i don't know not montage but of just from a ghost story of rooney mara just going out the front door that's over and cool over scene. that's a great scene but yeah i thought yeah i think it's interesting that we that we all kind of picked up on that but i don't my brain is listen i took a test today that's fair all my brain power went into that <laughs> that's fair so i'm I'm just here for the ride, guys. That's that's fair. I'm so just here's the thing. I, I do think that when it comes to this movie, as far as extracting themes go, y- you really do just have to watch it, and you will get something from it. 
whatever that is, I think does differ from person to person. Uh, what I can say, and again, this all sounds super cheesy, but like I get really into this kind of stuff. I think that this this film fits um, with a very select few others. I could probably name them on one hand of like films that truly, uh, I guess, affect the way that I want to live my life. That I, I feel like teach me films that teach me something that is valuable enough to incorporate into kind of my everyday philosophy of how I want to live my life. I think that, um, I mean, just to give example, I think that like this is right at the top. Um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is a huge one. I think that uh, Blade Runner 2049, and I know that I that you guys are going to laugh at me, <laughs> but really, when we get a chance to talk about it, I'll, I, I, I can explain where I'm coming from with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think like a ghost story. I mean, those are the ones that immediately come to mind as far as like films that after watching them, I want to change the way that I am living my life. And I think that that's a, a really impressive thing to do. This one specifically, maybe not change the way that I'm living my life, but like when it comes specifically to having children and like how I want to raise my children, because if you, if you don't like put an effort into, you know, I want to raise my kids X way, like they're going to raise themselves. You know what I mean? And that's probably not a good idea. So I think that when it comes down to it, like this movie more than any other has, has, I guess, helped me begin to formulate how I want to raise my kids. And it's not even like the movie comes out at the end and is like, raise your kids in the path of grace and everything will be okay. It's like, here is life and people are human and people make mistakes. But like, these are the things that, like, these are the moments that will affect your kids and how they see you and how they see the world and so these are the kind of things that you need to take advantage of so I think that's a really special thing for a film to be able to do and it does it so effectively like from the first moment that you see like Brad Pitt and like the way that he like puts his hand on his kids shoulders or behind their neck and you can just see that he's like this controlling parent and he wants his kids to be like shape he wants to shape them exactly the way he wants to shape them and i just think it's so impressive that something that small can like just as portray language. yeah that yeah. it can portray that much and then also the facial expressions of the kids like just how uncomfortable they feel at dinner time or anytime their father's around the performances from these kids amazing so i think that's good. the perfect word is how they manage to portray discomfort yeah it's just amazing and like even though I've never like had that experience, I can feel for these kids. Like I can feel what they're feeling mm-hmm. just by the way their faces look, mm-hmm. and like I don't know, you can just read it right on their face. Yeah, and I think aside from that, um, one of the things that makes it most effective is that like Brad Pitt's character isn't a horrible guy. Mm-mm. I think he's an yeah. incredibly relatable person, and you could see, especially me, like. You know, someone in my late 20s, like, I can see how he got to where he is. Because what he's, what he's trying to do with his kids is, I mean, one thing, he's pissed off about the way that his life went. He's not happy that he didn't get to achieve all of his dreams, and he's jealous of everybody around him. You know, there's even that, uh, one of the scenes that sticks out to me most as far as developing his character is when um, Jack is out doing yard work, and... Uh, 
Brad Pitt asks him, he's like, why is this spot bare? He's like, well, grass doesn't grow under the trees. And he says, well, it does it. You know, the neighbor's house. He says, And Jack comes back and says, uh, you know, they have a yard man. And Brad Pitt's like, no, they have money. I mean, he inherited it, but still. Like, he even has to qualify, like, why his neighbor has more money than him to make himself feel better. Yeah. Um, and so he's just this guy who's pissed off at the way that his life went. He's not happy. But because... It, and again, you open it with that quote, it's because he finds reasons to be unhappy. Even when he has this wonderful family and this loving wife, like, he finds reasons to be unhappy. But they don't paint him out to be some villain. Like, he's he's an incredibly relatable guy who just kind of got caught up. Yeah, and he's, like, a passionate character, and he loves his children. Yeah. But... I guess the other thing is, like, you never question whether or not he loves his kids. Yeah. He just doesn't have a great way of showing it. Yeah. Yeah. As, like, a human development major, this was kind of, like, a hard movie to watch because I'm like, no, you have to do this, and you have to tell your children about emotions. But I think, I mean, especially for the era that this movie is set, it's kind of an era where dad was the ultimate say, you do whatever the dad says, and that's it. Um, And, like, even, yeah, at a point in the movie, I was like, yeah, Brad Pitt's kind of a dick, but you know he's doing it out of the best, um, best interest for his kids. Yeah. So it's not a great method, but no. And there's just so many heartbreaking scenes when it comes to that. I think, again, not to just list off scenes, but I think that two that come to mind immediately is when he's trying to get his kids to punch him in the face, mm-hmm. and like they're just not feeling it. You know what I mean? And, like, you get where he's coming from. Like, he wants them to be tough and to be able to defend themselves and all this thing. But, like, not the best way to go about it. Yeah. And then there's another one where, again, and maybe this is what I relate to so hard. Every scene with yard work. (laughs) Because growing up, my dad made us do a lot of yard work together. With, like, I think the intention of them being bonding moments. But it really just kind of made me develop a dislike for yard work. <laughs> so I think all the yard work scenes hit a little hard. Um, but I love you, Dad. Um, but there's that scene where, again, they're doing yard work, and he's pointing out all of the things that Jack has done wrong. And he just turns around and tries to hug him, and Brad Pitt just pushes him off. Yeah. Like, no, in that moment, like, you just needed a hug, dude. Mm-hmm. Like, just hug him. <laughs> hug your kid. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I think that for me, that's what it really comes down to. Like at the end of the day, we're going to go into a little bit of like the craft as far as like music and cinematography and all that kind of stuff goes uh, and what of it is so impressive. But before we dive into any of that, I think it's important to note that every single bit of craft that goes into this movie, cinematography, editing, soundtrack, all serve the themes of this movie and that conflict between nature and grace and so as we talk about these things they every single one of them reinforces those ideas and really what you're supposed to get out of this movie is i think to ask yourself where on that spectrum do you want to end up you know what i mean i think that's kind of the point that the movie takes out is it it doesn't even necessarily present like oh grace is right nature is wrong it's just like it, Either extreme is probably not going to get you very far in the world. Um, but, like, where do you want to be on the spectrum, I think is what the, the movie is asking. And I think that's a it's a question that not a lot of movies have the guts to even ask. 
I think. Well, and it took him, what, 30 years? Yeah, 30 years of to thinking about it to really to do, do it. it. Mm-hmm. And I found this interesting. Uh, Terrence Malick actually graduated from Harvard with a philosophy degree. Wow. So, so he knew his stuff. Makes yeah. sense. Um, I think that I just kind of want to run through what some of the most impressive sequences are. Um, and I don't want to, I guess, put any ideas in your guys' heads. So uh, rather than me start, I'm going to let one of you guys start. Um, with just, I guess, uh, some of the, the more impressive or more impactful sequences in the film for you. Um. I don't know that I have necessarily... There's some sequences. I mean, I feel like the whole movie is, like, one big sequence. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like it's just... Or maybe, like, two. He's, like, four. (laughs) Okay, okay. (laughs) But one thing that I loved about the camera work in some of the sequences is how they would have, like, two people in a house, and you could see both of them at the same time, but it would, like, switch perspectives and it would like the camera would move around the house to like show I don't know to me it felt like like okay there's two for example um one with Brad Pitt and Jessica Chastain and they're in the house and it keeps switching perspectives and to me it felt like they were just kind of like boxed in and stuck like neither of them could get out and it showed again that um opposition and that battle between nature and grace and then the other one was with Jack and the woman that he was with. I don't know if it was his wife or girlfriend or mm-hmm. whoever. And it just showed them like walking around the house and and you could tell that he was like really thinking about his brother and like really sad and like I don't know, those sequences were really cool to me to show that like they felt very trapped. I thought that honestly for me some of the most effective sequences in the film are in his apartment when he's grown up. And yeah. they're just moving around and not talking to each other. Yeah, for sure. Um, one to note uh, of an example of what you said because it does the movie does a lot of like I guess conceptually shot reverse shot stuff Um, but what it does differently is that it doesn't cut between two point of views it swings the camera back and forth like you said yeah Um, and I think one of the more impressive ones I think it's after um, I might be I might be wrong here I think it's after um Brad Pitt kicks the middle brother, or no? When he uh, when the when the middle brother tells him to be quiet, mm-hmm. and he oh, like yeah. kicks him out of the house, and then Jessica Chastain is all pissed, um, and the camera circles around, but it actually raises up, and so you're looking over Brad Pitt's shoulder down at Jessica Chastain, and I think that that's interesting, especially with the the nature grace speech. It says that it likes to lord over people that nature likes to lord over people, right? And that was a really interesting camera angle to show just how much of a shadow he cast on her life. Yeah. And there was another scene, too, and I don't know if it necessarily means anything. I just thought it was really cool. It was after... I think it was in the beginning, like, right after um, they find out that the middle brother died. Um, and it shows Jessica Chastain out in the yard, and then it, like pans over to the window and you see Brad Pitt inside working but you can see him like doing something inside but you can still see like her reflection in the window such a cool shot and it's just like I don't know it's just amazing just that whole idea that like Mm -hmm. there's they're together and they have to deal with this together but they're separate yeah and then on that same 
uh, in that same vein, I think when it comes to acting, uh, one of the more impressive moments is again after she like right after it, it seems like she has found out that her kid is dead, and then when Brad Pitt comes home and she's just walking down the street and he's probably fifteen feet behind her, and she turns around to go walk towards him and takes like three or four steps and then turns around and starts walking away from him again mm-hmm. like she can't decide what role she wants him to play in that moment I don't know it's, it's just a very honest depiction of grief I think yeah definitely so impressive um, Sid in your hot take you mentioned the cinematography mm-hmm. what did you find most effective Um, I think Especially as Becca's been talking, I love how the camera's always moving. Like it just like it never it just never settles and it's it's just very active, but it's not distracting. Um I think probably the one that's jumping out the most to me is when Jack is walking around I think it's his neighbor's house and you see the couple fighting. Like it you first see them in the window and you're like, Is that Brad Pitt and Jessica's chesting? I can't tell and then it like keeps going around and it you see that it's not them and I don't know I just love how I don't know kind of to get philosophical just like it never stops like how life is never stopping and you're just always going and yeah I thought that scene specifically as well was a great example of um how he Terrence Malick manages to tell a story without words mm-hmm. because that kid be I mean what do you think he was 12 tops yeah yeah he's not going to be able to articulate like the effect that like oh my parents fight all the time and these parents fight all the time so maybe that degrades my confidence in the institution of marriage and in Mm -hmm. you know monogamous relationships in general and this is going to have an impact on me later in life and blah 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 like he's not going to be able to articulate that because he doesn't understand that Mm -hmm. but we know that seeing all of that has an effect on him and so watching him watch that I think gets that idea across that like oh a lot of these things are causing him damage but he doesn't come out and be like so this is the scene where Jack is damaged and his idea of marriage is possibly you know degrading or whatever Mm -hmm. like I thought that scene specifically was an excellent example of that of being able to tell a story and get across what's going not what's going through his mind but what's going on in his mind and I think those are two different things Mm -hmm. but without I mean it's just music like we're just watching him watch them i think that scene also for me showed that like every family deals with something you know and so so it like brought the same idea that jack and his family were dealing with to the next door neighbors and to everybody else so i thought that was like a good way to transition that i think another one that's popping to mind as far as um what I was talking about with like telling a story without words is the scene where Brad Pitt is playing the organ and uh, Jack is there like turning pages for him and you just see the way that he looks at him like like, he looks at his dad like he's God you know what I mean and like again you you don't have to sit down and be like have Jack look at the camera and be like so this is my dad he's my hero I want to be just like him but like the way that he looks at him and watches his hands and everything like that like you get Jack's feelings towards his dad without anybody saying anything but it's also like with a little bit of disgust that he I feel like he looks at him like he's like you're my hero kind of but also you don't make me feel good yeah 
And that's what I got with that look. Well, because, I mean, like, the little dialogue between them, there's several scenes. Um, the two that come to mind are, uh, first, the one where he's, like, yelling at him out in the yard. <clears throat> and Jack is like, it's your house. You can kick me out whenever you want. You want to kill me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then, like, maybe 15 minutes later, um, you know, Jessica Chastain has gotten pissed at Brad Pitt and he's out in the lawn. And Jack goes up to him and he's like, you know, I'm more like you than her. But he doesn't say it like it's a bad thing. Like, mm-hmm. he just says it. That's just how it is. You know what I mean? So, like, those two scenes back to back. Again, it's a it's it's a complicated relationship between the two of them. And they do a very good job of showing that without, again, you know record scratch you're probably wondering how i got here and how i have a weird relationship with my dad well let me tell you about my life you know what i mean like yeah it's it's just very effective storytelling without either a plot or dialogue (laughs) (laughs) well and i think that also describes like jack's relationship with god or like trying to figure that out as well because you hear a lot throughout the movie like his prayers and like after the boy in the swimming pool drowns He's saying, like, you're supposed to know all of us. Why did you let this this boy die? Oh Are gosh. you not good? Like, you're supposed to... I can't remember exactly he says, what he said. He like, says, why should I be good if you're not? Yeah, okay. And oh that just, like, gosh. ugh. And I, I feel like that's how he feels about his dad. That's how he feels about God. That's why he's so confused is because mm-hmm. he sees, like, his father is this good man who's doing well, mean things to that's him. That's how you see your dad no matter what. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's very... It takes, in in situations where the father or mother is a genuinely unhealthy influence, which I don't think that he exclusively is an unhealthy influence here, but it's, I feel like it's really not until later in life for the vast majority of people that the illusion of perfection is shattered with your parents. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I was probably early to mid-20s before like it really hit me, like, oh, my parents are human beings. You know what I mean? Like, yep. <laughs> like, you just don't realize that. And so you put them on the same level as God. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a really interesting observation. Yeah. Um, let's talk about my favorite part of the movie. Like, hands down, my absolute favorite is the creation sequence. Amazing. So gorgeous. And I think it's really... It took me a few times to realize or to kind of come to grips with it and I'm not even like to what it means and why it's in the film because you know you're 20 minutes in and then all of a sudden the screen goes dark and we watch the universe be created like for like 20 minutes <laughs> no it's, I think it's longer than that it's I feel like it, I, I mean I don't know the, the sequence feels long to me but it in a does. good way yeah um, it opens up and Jessica Chastain in her prayer that she's giving she says who are we to you and then it launches into this creation sequence. And it's almost like the creation sequence is an answer to that question. That, like, whoever she's speaking to, whether it be specifically God or the universe or nature or whatever, she asks that question of, who are we to you? And then it launches into this elaborate answer of, like, humanity is essentially the culmination of everything up to this point. You know, like chaos being turned into organization and uh, grace emerging out of life and all of these things. Like, that humanity is really the 
I guess the like I said the the culmination of all of that because we see, you know, we see matter and nothingness just in the in in the universe come together and the planet be formed and there's lava and meteors and then you see, you know, single celled life and then fish and then dinosaurs and one of the more like tear jerking moments for me and this might seem silly but it, it gets me every time is when you see that. Uh, one dinosaur on the beach and then the camera swivels around and it's got like a gash down its side Mm -hmm. and it's like oh like and it's like we all know that the dinosaurs are dead but like (laughs) (laughs) it didn't stop me from crying in jurassic world you cried in jurassic world (laughs) yeah and the new one the part where they're like on the boat oh and and you see the oh right was it brontosaurus yeah Mm -hmm. on the end of the cloud i freaking cried like a baby okay that's the only acceptable part to cry (laughs) yes um but then again i cried because it's such a bad movie yeah, that's fair. <laughs> and then you see the like baby dinosaur on the the edge of the river and the raptor like comes up and is like trying to decide whether to kill it and lets it live. And like again just the battle between nature and grace in everything. And then you know, you see the meteor come down and the dinosaurs die and life reorganizes and then that turns into um another one of my favorite sequences in the movie which is the birth sequence where you see him in the room filled with water and he swims up through the door and that's him being born mm-hmm. like and then that's when it gets you back into the regular narrative and then launches into my second favorite sequence of the film which is him as a baby growing up um, one of the more I guess heartwarming sequences that I've ever seen put to film is him as a baby and growing up because you don't see the dad yeah until they get older it's just jack and jessica chastain Mm -hmm. and so i think those two sequences back to back so when it says when she says you know who are we to you and it it the, the answer is basically like you know humanity is this vastly important thing so like even if we're a speck in this universe that whoever she's talking to not only are we important to, you know, like I said, whether it be God or the universe or whatever, like, we're important to each other. Mm-hmm. And I think that's such a strong, I guess, argument on the side of grace because she says several times, there's when they're driving away from the house, she says, the only way you're happy in life is if you love and you love everyone. So, like, I think that, again, the, the filmmaking serves these themes, like, to a T. It just takes a while to do it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> and I, I think that, again, that just blows my mind, and it, it gets me to tear up every single time, that birth sequence, where he's... It, and it's, it's really interesting, because I noticed this as well, and I don't know that I've noticed it before. Uh, you see him get born that way, and then at the end of the movie, you see Jessica Chastain in the same room swim up through a doorway. Oh, yeah. And I don't know really what that means, but... I was confused by both those scenes as well like i actually didn't get that that meant him being born i didn't yeah. get it either he's swimming around in the room and then the door opens and it swim he swims up through the door and then immediately cuts to the hospital room that makes sense okay i didn't get that i gotta watch this movie again <laughs> i didn't know what was going on through half of it so <laughs> the ending is still what confuses me a little bit yeah. i'm not sure if it's heaven or if it's just like a state of acceptance or like yeah. I don't know if it's a mind state or if it's a physical place or if they're all dead or 
if it's maybe it's just all taking place in Jessica Chastain's head because at the end is it the, is it um, Sean Penn's wife or whoever that's with him at the end the girl with dark hair I couldn't really tell that's what that's with Jessica Chastain yeah that's what I assumed because then it also showed the little girl which I think is Jessica Chastain is a little girl yeah right? I don't think I it know. was his wife when. I don't know. I don't know. I kind of when they showed her as a little girl, I don't. I kind of assumed maybe it was like her as a teenager, maybe. Could be. I don't know, because that. So then, I guess that's my question: is uh, two questions. Who is she talking to, and which son is she talking about at the end when she says, "I give my son to you"? I think she's talking about the middle son. Okay. That's kind of what I was assuming, too. Yeah. Like that she's finally being able to let go and move past? Mm-hmm. I think that the youngest son barely is in the movie. Sure. Like. Well, I wasn't sure if she was talking, because that's my thing, is if it was Jack's wife, like, then, like, I give my son to you, like, to his wife oh. kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. No, I think it's the middle son. Okay. But I don't know who I the other lady is. I think that would make is. more sense for the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, I mean, you could make a 40-minute short film just of the start of the creation sequence and end with her seeing her son's foot in the hospital. And there's that oh, scene yeah. of, of her hands together and the, the little baby oh foot gosh. right there. So sweet. I think that that's just like a perfect little short film. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, but that's, I think those two, back-to-back, are my two favorite sequences in the film, are the creation sequence and then Jack growing up. I do also love the sequence when um brad pitt leaves for a trip yes i'm glad you bring that up and yeah and the middle son comes out and says where's dad he's gone on a trip and then he like gets this little grin and then they all are happy for a while yeah i'll go running around that. the house and and it, yeah sassing, it just shows sassing the mom and like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just so sweet because it's just like such a sweet happy moment between mm-hmm. mother and sons yeah, yeah. I feel like even in families where they don't have a rough relationship with their dad, like, honestly, when my mom or dad was out of town, it was, like, fun, because it was changing it up, and it's like, oh, we can have pizza for dinner, you know? And I guess that's, again, coming back to it, one of the more effective things about this film is that it feels brutally honest. Like, nobody, well, yeah, Jessica Chastain represents nature, or Grace and Brad Pitt is nature. Nobody's a caricature. And, like, even as you know jack is struggling between these two things there's two scenes um there's a scene with the lamp where um he tells his brother to stick the hanger in it and he doesn't say anything but it doesn't shock him and the brother's just like i trust you and then there's the scene maybe 20 minutes later where they're playing in the woods with the pop gun and he tells him to put his finger over it and he does it and he shoots him and like again just like that back and forth between like what like relationships are complicated and a lot of things go on, and this does that shows it in an incredibly honest way. Because again, I feel like a normal movie would have had the middle brother sitting down at some support group when he's emotionally jacked up or whatever, being like, you know, when I was growing up, my brother said he would never hurt me, and I trusted him. But then he shot me in the finger, and that's how I developed my trust issues. You know what I mean? <laughs> but like, it doesn't even do that. It doesn't even like you just kind of move past it. Even like, uh-huh. life is complicated, and a lot of things happen, and relationships are complicated. But, like, things come out to an equilibrium as to what kind of a person you are. Well, and that's even what uh, one of the ladies says to Jessica Chastain after 
Uh, they after the funeral. It's her mom. Oh, is that her mom? Yeah. yeah. I didn't realize that that was her mom. I don't know why, because it shows her a lot. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, when she says like, I know it's hard now and hard to believe now, but you will move past this. I wanted to punch her in the face when she said, "You still have the other two. I know. <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh. Ugh. But, but anyway, again, like, like that's the idea yeah. is that like, you just you have to keep living and keep moving past. Mm-hmm. Whatever yeah. happens, yeah. But don't don't undermine someone's grief. That's annoying. No. Yeah, but everybody does it to her. Husband does it to her. Mom does it to her. Like, we won't do that to you, Jessica. Nope. We're here for you. Jessica Chastain, open invitation. If you want to come <laughs> on the podcast? You can cry. It's fine. <laughs> you can we'll all cry. cry. About this movie that you made eight years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and about the death of a son that is not yours. Yep. <laughs> Um, those are most of my, I guess, really standout sequences. And again, I think that what I want to emphasize for those of you listening, like, we're not just trying to, like, list off all the scenes that we thought were pretty. These are the scenes that I think most reinforced the themes for us and helped us arrive at the conclusions that we arrived at. So I think that your favorite scenes could very easily be different from ours. Because every single scene is, like, important and yeah nothing feels nothing thing. feels out of place in this movie yeah so those are my big thoughts this movie is incredibly difficult to take notes on mm-hmm. it really is because you just should you just should watch it don't take notes on this movie when you yeah. watch it just watch it just watch. it's just so like like enchanting to watch yeah. mm-hmm. i feel like and like hypnotizing like i just like watch yeah. and i'm stuck 100 percent. so those are um i guess did you guys have any more notes that you wanted to I took like four notes and then I was just like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> like honestly, one of them just says, what the F is going on? So. Um, yeah, I think it hit all my notes. I kind of said the same thing over and over. Do we want to do ratings or trivia? I know you have some trivia. I have a few trivia. Let's do trivia first and then okay. we'll everybody be thinking about your ratings and your closing thoughts and we'll do some trivia and then we'll we'll call it good. Do we want to... Oh, sh- I don't have it set up. <gasps> I don't have it set up. Trivia. Sid. Waka what? I think that was pretty close. <laughs> that sounded really yeah, close. Pretty All good. Right. Um, let's see. So, for the first time since the first Blade Runner in 1982... Blade Runner. <laughs> um, so, let's see. Special effects supervisor Douglas Trumbull... Um, pretty much just like i don't know came out of retirement to do the uh the visual effects in this thank you yeah and for some people who don't know i didn't know this he did the visual effects for 2001 oh totally unsurprising yeah Yeah. i thought about 2001 a few times while watching the creation sequence and the stargate sequence in 2001 very yes it the the creation sequence a lot of it feels like if the stargate sequence in 2001 was made in 2011 Mm. yeah yeah, because it says that Terrence, Terrence Malick is really was dissatisfied with the look of modern uh, CGI. Yeah, it works great. Works yeah. very well. All right. Um, let's see. So the speaking of, sorry, before you to friend? cut you off, um, anybody out there, I would love a decent documentary or article or something about how the Stargate sequence in two thousand one was made. Because one of the more mind blowing sequences that I've ever seen, fifty years later. Yeah. Um, 
So anybody out there, uh, send us a DM or whatever if you know of any decent breakdown of how they actually made the Stargate sequence for 2001. I saw one. Is the Stargate the one where it's just like a bunch of colors? Mm-hmm. I saw something about it. It was on a YouTube video. I don't remember what it was, but they explained it a little bit, and it was just like, like I don't know how you don't. I don't know how you make that without a computer. I don't know. Yeah. We'll have to try and find it. Yeah. Anybody out there? Let us know, please. More trivia. Yeah. Seriously. Um. Okay. The butterfly scene was not CGI. They. I forgot about the <laughs> butterfly scene. It's such a good yeah. scene. It's so good. They. Uh, Terrence Malick s- saw the butterfly and then they followed it for three blocks until they could get that shot. That's so cool. That makes that scene so much better. Yeah. I know. It's so great. Um, so all of the movie, I'm pretty sure all of it, was shot in natural light or as natural as they could. Um, there was like a huge list of stuff that they wanted to avoid in the cinematography and the you know, lighting everything. Mm-hmm. Don't underexpose the negative. Um, let's see. Uh, use the negative to fill, um, fill to avoid light sandwiches. I don't know what that is. I don't know what any of that is. Um, avoid lens flares, flares. Avoid white and primary colors, which I was thought was kind of surprising because I felt like there was a lot of white. There's in a this. lot of green, a lot of brown, a lot of. I think it's blue. probably the white are more in like the kind of like they're supposed to be white. I'm trying to think now though, like what the. I think the creation sequence obviously stays right away from white yeah. and primary colors. And yeah. then I think for the most part, you see a lot of trees. So like green and brown. Mm-hmm. I think their house is blue. Yeah, their, it's like a blue their gray. Floors, their floors in their house are like a natural hardwood. Mm-hmm. Um, I think blue is probably the biggest rule breaker there as far as that goes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that was one. And then no zooming. Um, so yeah, I just think it's... I don't know. It all just works so well. well. Emmanuel Lubezki is big on natural light anyway. The mm-hmm. Revenant was filmed the same way. Mm-hmm. They filmed it oh, yeah, yeah. entirely with natural light. Mm-hmm. So, Good combo. Yeah. Emmanuel Lubezki and Terrence Malick. Well, Emmanuel Lubezki films most of... Uh, I think he's filmed all of Terrence Malick's like, post-2000 films. Wow. Um, let me see. Keep going and I'll, I'll okay. update here. Um, some American theaters had to put up signs like kind of warning them about the non-linear narrative and just everything because they were getting a lot of confusion and refunds yeah <laughs> like this movie's weird as crap yeah um there was an Ital- italian cinema uh for a week they had switched to reels and no one even noticed because they just thought it was part of his crazy editing <laughs> That's for really a funny, whole actually. Week, everyone was seeing that it. is funny. Oh my gosh. So I feel great. like you almost could move any of the sequences and still get the same message. As long as yeah. your first scene and your last scene are the same, I think you're okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, according to Emmanuel Lubetsky, uh, Terrence Malick, he consulted with NASA a lot for the footage of the cosmos Jeez. to kind of understand what it was going to be like. That's also, cool. uh, Lubetsky said that out of all the cut scenes you could do an entire movie just on sean penn well there you go wow uh heath ledger was originally slated for mr o'brien but obviously good move he was dead (laughs) yeah so they got brad pitt Um, i wouldn't have minded that actually i think he would have been great yeah so sorry i really liked brad pitt Um, i thought he was emmanuel lubezki um where did it go he filmed the New World, 
um, Tree of Life, Knight of Cups, and Song to Song. So he didn't film To the Wonder or... Okay. Um, but he filmed most of Terrence Malick's stuff. He okay. didn't film To the Wonder. Um, or actually, that's it. Great team. Yeah. Um, let's see. Over a million feet of film were shot. A million a feet? A million feet. Holy crap. With an average of 14,000 per day. I told you, dude just films and films and films and then makes his movies in the editing room. Wow. Jeez Louise. Um, okay, last two. Uh, so a lot of this was uh, inspired by Terrence Malick's own life. Um, apparently, let's see. Yeah, I don't want to read all this. So anyway, it was a lot of it was inspired by his life. Okay. Um, and then the last thing, Jack O'Brien, his initials are J-O-B, as in Job from the Bible. Shut your mouth. There's no way <laughs> wow. that's on purpose. One of the because uh. one of the few monologues from the movie is, good heavens, <laughs> shut up because they're in church and he he gives the whole sermon on Job, mm-hmm. yeah. and then after Mr. O'Brien gets laid off, he gives his whole speech to his wife. He's like, I never missed a day. Like I was a fantastic worker. I did all these things, and mm-hmm. like, holy crap! <laughs> Isn't that great? Layers to it, man. Tiramisu. Layers. <laughs> As Macklemore would say, I would say onions, but because from the uh, from the fantastic Macklemore song "Downtown," I was gonna say the fantastic cinematic masterpiece that is Shrek. That's great. Yeah, Shrek is great. <laughs> Downtown. Here's the thing: go watch Shrek. Uh, highly recommended. Also, watch the music video for "Downtown" by Macklemore because it's amazing. Uh, okay. It's all about him going on a scooter ride. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> Um, and stealing your girlfriend to go on a scooter ride with her. It's amazing. It's so good. Go watch, go watch the downtime music video with Macklemore. Um, all right. Great trivia. Thank um, you. Final thoughts and ratings out of 10. Becca, go. I gave you plenty of time to think about it. You're right. I already know what my rating will be. Um, this movie is amazing. Like, there's literally nothing wrong with it, I don't think. Like, I think it says exactly what it's trying to say in a very perfect way um i do think it might be hard for and like just anybody to really get into it you do have to be in the right mindset to watch it and it really is an experience so maybe not for everybody but i think for everybody um but i thought it was perfect honestly like i would give it a 10. wow yeah um so i did really like this one i don't think i was quite in the mindset of it I mean, I was almost there, but not quite just because I was so tired and my brain is not working. But I think if I were to watch it again, it would be a much higher score. But I think today I'm going to go with a 9.5. That's still If I watched it in a better mood, it would be a much higher score than a (laughs) 9.5. Okay, straight up, uh, this is probably my favorite movie of all time. So... Um, I don't think it's much of a secret. Those of you who listened to the podcast last week uh, will know that I, I gave it away back then. Uh, I, told, I said then that I tried to hold off this time, and I feel like I did a good job. This movie's so good that I only mentioned Blade Runner 2049 once. That's true. <laughs> um, which might be my second favorite movie of all time. Um, I don't know. It's, it's up there for sure. Uh, but yeah, this is probably my favorite movie of all time. Um, I think it's quite possibly the best made film ever 
Um, as far as like a pure craft standpoint, I think There Will Be Blood would be the only one that would give it a run for its money. Uh, but when you combine the perfection and craft with the themes that it explores and the emotional heft that this movie has, I think that it blows There Will Be Blood out of the water, which... Uh, anybody who knows me will know that there will be blood as a 10 for me so if i'm saying that it blows that out of the water this is like a 15 out of 10 i mean but the highest <laughs> i can go is a 10 like this is this is in probably my favorite movie of all time so easily a 10 on the western scale yeah. um two tens and a 9.5 probably gives us somewhere around a 9.8 on the western scale i think that's probably the highest rating that we've ever had i think so yeah probably. children of men might be i think it was probably about a dancer in the dark was pretty high too. dance in the dark was pretty high yeah. that's one that i still Dancer Dark still might be a 10. I don't know. I still need to watch it again. I think it's probably a 10, I but think I, about I it need to give it a I second. I think about it a lot. Second try. Yeah. Um, so yeah, 9.8 on the Western scale. Pretty high. Not bad. Not bad at all. Look at that. Um, other topics. Uh, we are in the throes of hashtag 31 days of October. Um, as we record this. By the time it comes out, it'll be over. Uh, but luckily for you, there are archives on the internet of our discussions uh, mostly on the the Wednesday mini episodes discussing 31 Days of October, um, it's Becca and me, uh, just kind of breaking down the movies that we watch because it has a life. Yes, I do. <laughs> I'm sorry you have to miss out on hearing my voice more. Yeah. So are we. We miss you. Um, but it would be a lot of coordination going on to get Sid up here every night to watch a scary movie and to record the same time every week. You know so. what? Next October, I'm just going to move in with you guys. Yeah, that sounds good. Deal. Okay. Um, so... As we record this, uh, we are in the throes of 31 days of October. As you hear this, we are not. But you can go back. You can find our calendar on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash wewatchmovies, and then talk about them, or on our Instagram, at movieswewatch, along with uh, wherever you're listening to this podcast. Uh, you can find our mini-episodes, which are spoiler-free, uh, breaking down the movies. Not, not even breaking down. Just going through, giving a quick thumbs-up or thumbs-down to each of the movies that we watched. Um, so if you want some recommendations on horror movies, if you just want to hear... Uh, us talk about how much I like horror um, then that's the place to go they're short they're like 30 minutes long uh, go check them out and get some recommendations on horror movies um, as far as other topics go um, Sid went and saw First Man I did Becca and I did not go see First Man so we will not be saying anything about it can I just say that it's great uh, sure okay and also see it in IMAX yeah uh, we're going to see it in IMAX uh, we were supposed to go today but we got free tickets to a musical, so we're doing that instead. I'm very happy Andrew about is it. very happy. I'm very happy Very about excited. It. I would not in any way prefer to go see Ryan Gosling in IMAX. <laughs> I am very excited Can I just call the movie Ryan Gosling rather than First Man? I just want to see him. I love <laughs> he's him so much. <laughs> he's great in IMAX, you know? He's great in any screen. Everything. Yes. Is there any way that you think I could convince them to play the uh, dirty dancing scene from Crazy Stupid Love? Just like... Oh my gosh. Like, can we play that? over IMAX and then watch Fresh Man <laughs> <laughs> just because I want to like, see just like slip that in there somewhere yeah, exactly. at a point in the movie oh, that's a great movie Crazy it Stupid is. Love is a it is a good movie I was movie. thinking about that throughout watching First Man I was like oh that's such a great movie <laughs> that's how you know that's how you know the mark that you're watching a great movie is when it makes you think of another movie mm. but it's not like oh I wish I was watching this other great movie it's like oh my gosh they're both great movies great um so we're not going to get super heavy into other movies that we're watching because right now what we are watching is 31 Days of October and what Sid is doing is going to see First Man without us. So um, we do want to give a small preview as to what you can expect over the next three weeks, which is a small little uh, mini-series that we are very excited about. Um, 
we, uh, starting next week and the following two weeks, are going to be doing the Dark Knight trilogy from Christopher Dolan. So next week we're going to watch Batman Begins, following week The Dark Knight, and the week after The Dark Knight Rises. Um, depending on how things go, um, so we're going to do an episode on each of them, and then depending on how things go, um, if we have enough to talk about, we might even do a little bonus episode kind of talking about the trilogy as a whole, overarching themes, that kind of thing, um, depending on how things go. Um, so we're really excited about it. Um, we think that, um, I mean, obviously, uh, people listen more to episodes about movies that they have actually heard of. Uh, we thank you to the four people who have listened to our episode on Dancer in the Dark. <laughs> Bear Toe, you're probably one yeah, of them. All four of you. We <laughs> the, appreciate it. The listener it. request. <laughs> right. We appreciate it. Um, but we do want to start, um, as we've planned out our schedule moving forward, we do want to start doing more movies that uh, people have actually seen, as opposed to things like Dancer in the Dark or... Um, Tree of Life. Tree of Life. <laughs> this was mostly for me, because I love it so much. And it's yeah. episode 15, our first prime numbered episode. Um, <laughs> so I really wanted to do it um, and it was either this or Blade Runner 2049 and Becca chose Tree of Life yes I did so, um, yeah and then following that up uh, we have a few other things coming forward that we're really excited about um, we want to I guess to give you guys a little bit of hype I'm going to mention it now and then I'm not going to talk about it for several weeks but just so you guys know uh, the end of the year we've got some really fun things planned um, we're going to do uh, what we're calling the Nostalgia Special towards the end of the year, in which we're going to each pick a movie uh, that has a heavy nostalgia value for us, but maybe isn't the greatest film ever made, um, and we're going to talk about it. So um, I can tell you right now, my pick is Space Jam, and it's mostly just to make Becca watch Space Jam again, because she loves it so much. Uh, so just to give you guys an idea, that's kind of the vibe we're going for here. So uh, get excited for that. Um, and then we're going to follow that up with the hashtag WeWatchOscars, um, where we're going to do our own little mini Oscars, because uh, we, uh, more so Sid and I than Becca, are obsessed with the Academy, um, but also fully recognize that the Academy is just a giant advertising agency, and mm -hmm. it's whoever pays the most money wins the prize. So before any nominations are put out, before anything, um, right around the, the new year, we're going to be doing the hashtag WeWatchOscars, where we will have our own picks for movies in each of the categories that the Oscar does, but without having any influence as to, like, from the Academy. So we're going to do it before they release uh, their picks. So that's, that's what we're excited for. We're excited for the Dark Knight trilogy coming up, the hashtag Nostalgia Special, and the hashtag We Watch Oscars coming up. So we've got some fun things coming up um, over the next, uh, I guess, until the end of the year. Tell your mom, tell your roommate, tell your barber. Um, people go to barbers. Don't laugh. You go to Barber's. I do go to the Barber. <laughs> um, yeah, tell everybody that might be interested in movies that we've got. Uh, maybe somebody has watched the Dark Knight trilogy and is like, man, I really like that, but I don't know why. We're going to tell you why. We're going to tell you why it's great. Um, and that's what we try and do for all of our movies. So hopefully we're successful in that. We thank you all for listening. Do you guys have anything else you want to bring up? Nope. Mm-mm. Well, I thank you two personally for being here with me today. This is a big one. I love this movie, and I'm glad that we were finally able to watch it. You're welcome. Um, yeah. We were talking about uh, with doing the podcast and with doing 31 Days of October, it's sometimes hard for us to just sit down and watch a movie that we feel like watching. Um, and this is one of those that uh, I've been wanting to watch. So I'm glad that we were able to do it. Um, so thank, thank you, Becca. You are welcome. Thank you, Sid. You're welcome. And we will catch you next week. If you want to find us, Becca. Facebook.com slash we watch movies and then talk about them. <laughs> 
and instagram at movies we watch there you have it <laughs> that's where you can find us uh like i said any suggestions you guys have as far as movies to watch uh if you want to hear becca talk more about hereditary just slide into the dms <clears throat> that's not gonna happen <laughs> i think i gave hereditary a really good score yeah. rating here's the thing when it comes time for the we watch oscars spoiler alert that's probably going to come up in the discussion so oh, yeah, you're gonna yeah. have to talk about it more fine okay uh we love you all thank you so much for listening and we will catch you next week see ya bye